This week we're going to talk just for a little bit here, because I believe you've already been filled up with some stuff. From the moment we started singing, and the moment Anita shared something, the moment, I mean, all through this service, you've been getting it from multiple voices, and I believe that you're going away with something. I want to talk to you today just real briefly about the first missionary to Decapolis. Anybody know who the first missionary to Decapolis was? Do you know where Decapolis is? Now, if, I, if we had our Greek friends sitting here, they'd be able to go, Decapolis means 10 cities. Um, there was a region called the region of the Decapolis, uh, which was primarily settled by Jews, but, but a lot of Gentiles as well, and they had mixed the culture together. And uh, I want to talk to you, I want to tell the story about a guy that was the first missionary to that region, because I think you'll be blessed, because we're going to talk about where our, where our ministers and where our missionaries are going to come from in Lloydminster, because I'm sure there's folks in this room, you can do the job, but we're going to need more hands on deck. And where are they going to come from? Who are they going to be? They might come from areas that you don't expect. They might come from areas or people that you're surprised by. And so since none of you at this point could tell me who the first missionary to Decapolis is, I'm kind of happy by that because you'll be surprised by the story. Actually, once I start reading the story, I'm sure you'll recognize it and you'll go, ah, he tried to trick us, but I didn't. And so let's go, let's turn in our Bibles um, to that great place in the scripture that starts with a starts with a, a, almost a shipwreck in Mark chapter uh, 5 we're going to go to, but in Mark 4, you guys remember what happened in Mark 4, right? Mark 4 was wonderful teaching that Jesus, um, he had taught upon about the kingdom, he taught about the word, he talked about the, the parable of the sower. And Mark 4 is, is so foundational, but what happened after he taught those great messages is he got in a boat and he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. That sounds like a simple command. But it turned out to not be such a simple command because as you might know, when he said that, they get in the boat, they start going. He gets in the bottom of the boat and takes a nap. And then a ship, that the storm comes and is threatening to destroy the ship. And the disciples are afraid. And now these guys aren't landlubbers that just, you know, just decided, let's, let's try our first boat ride. These are professional fishermen and they think they're going to die. Can we all agree if people that have been in boats all their lives think that this storm is going to kill them, there's a good chance it could. They were freaked out, afraid for their lives. And they're mad at Jesus. You ever been mad at Jesus in the middle of a storm? Nobody's admitting to it, right? Okay. I felt that, I felt that feeling before, like, Lord, do you not care if I perish? That's what they said. Maybe if I say it in a King James English, you can identify with it more. Lord, care you not that we perish. But he's in the bottom of the boat, and they say, Lord, we're dying. We're about to die, and you don't seem to care about it. Now, you, you seem to have supernatural abilities. Maybe you can breathe underwater, but we can't. He wakes up, he stands up in the boat, and he tells the sea and the wind to be still. And the Bible says it was perfectly calm. And we can learn something from that. Did I just lose power? Or just keep going. So we can learn something from that. And here's what we can learn is that when he said to be still, the storm did not just die down to a gentle rumble. Everything became perfectly calm. My hope and prayer is that we wouldn't just stumble through life 
praying that God makes the situation just a little bit better, that we can just survive a little bit more, but that we're going to go from places of extreme storm to extreme calm in the name of Jesus. Doesn't mean that we're seeking an easy life. Because we ourselves are taking our boat directly into the storm, knowing that if God is for us, who could be against us? So why did they risk their lives? And I know this sounds like the old chicken joke to get to the other side. What was on the other side? Because as, as you're about to find out, they risk their lives. They go through this harrowing journey to spend only a few hours on the other side, and then they get in the boat and leave. Now, if I were Jesus' entourage, I might not be happy about that. Jesus says, let's go to the other side. When they finally get to the other side, there's a dramatic confrontation in Mark chapter 5. If you'll turn there, I'm sure most of you are already there. In Mark 5, Jesus puts his feet on the sand. It says, they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes, And when he had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. This guy lived in a graveyard. We don't know anybody like that, nor do we want to know anybody like that. He was not the caretaker. He wasn't the guy that went with the lawnmower and made sure the grass was trimmed around. This is a guy, they don't want to live in the tombs, but they don't know where else to put him. Not that they could put him somewhere else even if they tried because it says he lived in the tombs and no one was able to bind him anymore even with a chain. He's got a spirit inside of him which not only causes him to do and to say terrible things but somehow has given him a supernatural strength which is not of God. And no chains able to hold this guy. It says here, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Now, I'm just going to tell you that this may have been a long time ago, but they did not refer to wood or paper as shackles and chains. If they're talking about shackles and chains, we're talking about a type of metal that's not holding this guy. So if you're Jesus' 12 bodyguards... And this guy shows up on the beach. I'm sure you're wondering what's going to happen. He immediately comes to Jesus. Now, they probably didn't know all this about him because they hadn't been to this part of the world yet. They hadn't been to this part uh, of the other side of the sea here. But uh, this guy was well known in his own community as being, that troublemaker would be putting it mildly. This guy was known in his community as being a terror. Maybe because... He was one of them at one point. They, they didn't kill him, maybe because they were afraid that if they tried to kill him, they, they wouldn't be able to do it and he'd kill them or something. But either way, they've tried to bind him up. They failed. He lives in the tombs. We can infer from the fact that the scripture says later he was clothed. When he got delivered, he was clothed. We can infer from that that he probably ran around naked every other time. So you, you who have children, you might skip that next funeral for Uncle Joe if there's a naked crazy man running around the cemeteries who is so strong that you can't even hold him with chains. You might say, let the dead bury the dead. We're going to stay home. I don't want that guy near my family. You might even think you're justified in hating that guy. 
It's easy to forget that there's a human behind that. It's easy to forget that behind that demon-possessed man is a real soul that God created. Is a man that God loves. That every time they try to bind him with chains, that there's, there's a man behind the spirit that's oppressing him, that's wondering why his neighbors are treating him so badly. There's a man behind the demon that's wondering why everyone hates him so much. There's a man behind the demon that wishes he could be free, but doesn't know how to be free. It's easy to start to think that somebody's just so bad that they're nothing but evil. But in every soul, in every human being on the planet is a soul that God once created, that bears the image of the creator, and that he died to save. It's easy to forget that God said as Jesus walked the earth, he said, I did not come for the righteous. I came for the sick. I came for the sinners. And Peter said about Jesus, you know about Jesus of Nazareth, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. In other words, the heart of God. And he says it when he says it in Luke 4, he announces why he's here. He says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me. He's anointed me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who have been oppressed by the devil, to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And as Brother Dick Iverson said in these meetings we were in, he talked about, here's an, old, here's an, uh, an elder who's been planted churches all over the world, thousands of churches this guy's planted. And at the end of his, at the end of his ministry, starting the, the end season of his ministry, this man stands up last week and, and starts to talk about the compassion of Jesus and says that's the motivator for Kingdom Harvest. Here's a guy who had success. Here's a guy who had fame and popularity. And he says, all that really matters is that Jesus was moved with compassion. And that's what moves us. And when he opened, and when Brother Dick opened that Luke 4, he said, obviously, God cares about hurting people. No one was strong enough to subdue this man. Constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gashing himself with stones. He's so tormented that he's screaming and he's cutting himself. And instead of compassion for that man, people are afraid of him. And honestly, I might have felt the same way. If I didn't have the solution for that guy, I certainly don't want him around my kids. If I don't have the cure for that man, I certainly don't want him bothering my wife. I could see how fear would have caused them to say, let's just, I mean, uh, we're sparing his life. We didn't even try to kill him. We're just trying to, to chain him up so he doesn't hurt us. But this man is so tormented by evil spirits. that He's crying out in the mountains. He's gashing himself, cutting himself with rocks. And it's for this guy that Jesus crosses the stormy sea. Perhaps the sea was stormy because the enemy didn't want Jesus going to the other side. Perhaps there was a storm sent to stop them. But either way, Jesus didn't let anything stop him. He went to the other side and he met this man on the beach. And instead of this man being a distraction, this man was the mission. You know, a lot of times 
those wacky people that, that just show up. We say they're destruction sent to keep us from doing what the Lord's told us to do. Well, here's what you do. If, if, they're, if they're being oppressed or possessed and they're bugging you and they're stopping you from preaching like they did to Paul and Silas, do what Paul did. Turn around, cast the demon out, and let the person live. Instead of treating the person like they're the scourge of your life, remember that behind that demon, there's a person that God loves. And your battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. You will have a battle, but it's not with them. And every time Jesus finds somebody like this, he cares about them. This man is cutting himself. He's screaming. He's tormented. He's strong. But seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do I have to do with you? Jesus, son of the most high God. At this point, it's not the man talking. At this point, it's the evil spirit talking. In another gospel, another version of the same story, told from a different angle, it adds something to this. It tells us what else he said. He said, what business do we have with one another? Have you come to torment me before the time? You see, there's a territorial spirit that thought that this is our zone. Jesus is in Galilee, and he's sure messing things up there, but we're over here. And they even knew, even the demons knew there would be judgment day. But they didn't know it'd come so soon. Have you come to torment us before the time? They knew there was a time. Well, it can't be now. You see, they had a good life tormenting this man. I don't imagine any life's a good life for a demon. Do you know that hell itself, and I can't speak from experience, but I would imagine hell itself is full of chaos and torment because without God there is disorder and there's strife, there's every evil work. I don't imagine that Satan and his forces are well organized. I imagine they're in a state of constant chaos. And they torment because they're tormented. This demon says, demon recognizes he's the son of the most high God. You may not realize this. This is the first, I, I believe, if we get our timeline right, this is probably the first guy that ever referred to Jesus as the son of God. Was a demon. <laughs> Interesting, huh? So this guy says, I implore you by God. I don't think you can use that card with me, man. I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Here's the interesting thing. That tells me this, this was a tougher case than most of the cases. Because most of the time Jesus said, come out, they came right out. In this case, it said Jesus had already said, come out. And this guy's saying, please don't, don't torment me. It says, Jesus asked him, what is your name? He said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to entreat him. He began to beg him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now there was a big herd of swine feeding there on the mountain. And we all know that a good Jew at that time, before the cross, was not supposed to have pigs. The demons entreated him saying, send us into the swine so that we might enter them. Because the demons just don't want to go back home. Don't make us go back to the abyss. Just, just let us stay here. We'll live in some pigs. My dad would always tell the same joke at this point in the story. 
And that was the first case of deviled ham. <laughs> These are dad jokes. I'm stocking up. I got a kid now. I got an... I, I got I to gotta tell the kind of jokes that will make people groan. It's part of being a dad. I understand that. Verse 13, he gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. So that's enough demons to drown 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of demons. And their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. So these guys don't just go to the police. They go out in the city, and when they've done television of the city, they go to the country and find some people to tell them about it. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And so far, they're doing okay. But when they come, they came to Jesus and observed the man who'd been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Not of a naked, crazy guy running who can't be chained. No, they're used to that guy. They're afraid because now the guy's clothed and in his right mind. That freaks me out. That's what scares them. Because they've already put this guy in a box. Crazy. Nutter butter. Dangerous but we know how to stay away from them. We stop trying to chain them up because that doesn't work. But they put them in a category where at least they understand him or they think they do. And all of a sudden, he doesn't fit into that category anymore and they're freaked out by it. The world's solution to many people's problems is to just keep them away from us. Put them in, a, put them in an institution put them in a prison, stay away from my family, stay away from society, just stay away. But Jesus is not offering a band-aid, he's offering the cure. What the world has been unable to do, Jesus is perfectly able to do, to set free and to deliver once and for all. Did you know Jesus' entourage was not just made up of 12 men? Sure, he had other people that followed him, but did you know there's a place in the scripture that mentions the women that followed him? Some of those women funded his ministry. And it says several of them were healed of diseases and had unclean spirits cast out. One of them had seven demons cast out of her. And these are the people that Jesus says, these are my close friends, follow me. Some of his best supporters were people that had been delivered tells you we should think about people differently on the other side of deliverance, shouldn't we? You don't label them for life. They can change. Jesus can change anybody. They became frightened because the guy's clothed. That's weird. All right. But they became frightened. Those had seen it, described it to them, how it happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine because that was the, that's the, you know, the flashy part. And they began to entreat him, entreat, in other words, to beg they began to beg him, leave to depart from their region. Now, I don't think I'm too out of the ordinary to say this. Wouldn't you guys say, if a man that we could not contain, 
If a man we couldn't keep ourselves safe from, if a man that we heard his screams in the night as we're trying to sleep, we hear a scream come from the mountain and we know that's that man that's tormented that we couldn't chain up. Maybe if you saw him delivered, you'd say, Jesus, you need to stay for a while. We got more people who need fixing. But instead, they're so freaked out by what they don't understand. And perhaps it's their own sense of religion. Perhaps it's their own sense of comfort. But what they don't understand is scarier than a life without the power of God. How easy is that to to happen to us? God's doing something. God's delivering people. But we'd rather those people stay out of the church than come in and make some noise when a demon comes out. We'd rather not deal with stuff we don't understand. I just want a comfortable church. I want a comfortable life. Don't don't mess with that. Yeah, there's people that are broken. Yeah, there's people that are hurting. But we know where to put them. But what if God's plan for Lloyd Minster is to find them and deliver them? And what if it takes you going to the other side to do it? Because Jesus doesn't say, you guys can't make me leave. I'm staying. And I'm eating your pigs. They're wet, they're soggy, but you know what? I'm eating them. Jesus doesn't say that. He just leaves. And his disciples are like, we almost died getting here. We've only been here for a couple hours. I don't know how long they were there. Because it was enough time for all these townspeople and city people to come and and find them. So maybe a while, chunk of the day, Jesus is sitting with this man, fellowshipping with him, and they ask him to leave, and Jesus says, okay, I'll leave. One man. Jesus crossed the sea, risked all those men's lives. Of course, it wasn't a risk because he knew he had authority over the wind and the waves. But they thought they were going to die. He did all of that for one guy. They begged him to leave their region. And he was getting into, as he was getting into the boat, oh, this is a poignant scene. This tugs at my heartstrings here. As they're getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed was imploring, was begging him that he might accompany him. You got to know why. This guy, not only has he been, been embarrassed in front of all these people, but this guy has had people he went, you know, he knew growing up. People, family members, relatives, people he loved. Look him in the eye as they hit him and knocked him down and tried to chain him up, naked and alone in the tombs. I don't want to stay with these people. They hate me. They've treated me terrible. I'm embarrassed because look what I've done. I don't want to stay with these people. Just let me come with you. You accept me. No one else accepted me. You accepted me. You see, they ran away. When they saw I had clothes on, when they saw I was normal, they were scared of me. Let me come with you. Just let me get in the boat. Jesus says something. He says, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This man, to his great credit, he went away and began to proclaim. That means to preach. That means to say loudly. He wasn't just whispering it to people. He began to tell his story publicly. 
began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for them, and everyone was amazed. This was the first missionary to Decapolis, a man who was so demon-possessed, the most demon-possessed guy in the Bible was the first missionary to a region that wouldn't even accept Jesus. Does that open up your mind as to what God can do in Lloyd? What God can do in Canada? You might not know it, but the next wave of ministers might be in the ditch right now. The next wave of ministers might be in the thorpe right now. The next wave of ministers might be in a men's shelter, might be in the interval home. And I realize the folks in the interval home didn't do anything on their own to get there. Someone else did something to them. But you realize God sees hurting people. And he loves hurting people and he can use hurting people because he fixes hurting people. He heals hurting people. He fixes what's broken. Some of the great missionaries to our region and our cities are the ones that you can't even imagine right now. But if you'd be willing to hear the voice of God and cross the sea to look a man in the eye who everyone is afraid to look in the eye and see past the demon and see the man. Jesus was the first one to look past the demon oppression and see a man. When everyone else saw evil, Jesus said, I created this man. I love this man. Sometimes it's so hard for us to see past what people do and how they act and how they talk and what they've done to hurt us and what they've done to hurt themselves and what they've done to hurt everybody else in the community that we forget that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with them. Those that go out and do these horrible things, have you ever considered? I'm not trying to make excuses. We make bad decisions. We do wrong things. We rebel against God. But I am saying we all were at a place of sin. We all were at a place of bondage. And somebody had to look us in the eye and say, Jesus loves you enough to set you free. And the next missionaries, the next great preachers, the next great encouragers, the people that are walking around laying their hands on people all over the oil field, those may be the folks now that you can't even imagine God do anything with. The last people God would use are his favorites. Now, God doesn't play favorites. God loves you. You know, I was born into a, a pastor's family. I can't say I came out of a life of drugs and, and, and sex and all this stuff. You know, for the most part, I lived a pretty clean life. So I'm not saying, if you're like me, I'm not saying, well, God doesn't want to use you. You're too boring. God will use all of us. But perhaps God sends you to the wrong side of the tracks. Perhaps God sends you to the alley you don't think is safe. Perhaps God sends you across the sea even when it's storming and you use the authority that Jesus gave you in his name to tell the sea to be still so that you can carry on to your assignment and your destination and see the oppressed delivered and see the sick healed and see the lost found. The first missionary to Decapolis was their worst citizen. And he was able to minister in a place that wouldn't even receive Jesus. And everyone was amazed. That's the good news. That's a very happy last sentence. 
That's a happily ever after kind of sentence right there. It doesn't say nobody believed him because they couldn't deny what God had done. It says everyone was amazed. That to me sounds like they received what he said. The first missionary to Decapolis was the most demon-possessed man in the Bible. The first apostle to the Gentiles was the terrorist of the church. Saul of Tarsus, who killed more Christians than anyone else in his time. Who's God looking for today? God's looking for whoever will be used. But maybe you need to be that one that crosses the sea. The demon-possessed man came to Jesus and fell at his feet, but first Jesus had to cross the sea to get to him. Whenever we draw near to the Lord, he's already initiated something. He's already drawn near to us. You know that, right? We never made the first move. I know the Bible says draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. But what he's not saying is that God already made a big move to draw near to you. Now when you draw near to him, he draws even closer. But the scripture says in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. The first move was God's. And in this story, the first move was Jesus. He crossed the sea to get to a man. Yeah, the man had to fall at Jesus' feet, but Jesus made the first move. Have you considered that Jesus' first move might be through you? Have you considered that you might be the one that takes the first step towards the unlovable and in response to that, they take a step towards you and in response to that, you take another step? It won't be comfortable, but it'll be glorious. It won't be easy but it'll be full of power and grace. And I believe that God is going to revolutionize our city and our region. And the ones that may have the most effect are the ones we can't even imagine even sitting in the back row of the church. I thank God we've got some good ushers. We've got some ushers that know how to love somebody that seems like they might be a problem, not just kick them out. Because we're asking the Lord for those that need him. Jesus said, I didn't come for the well, I came for the sick. Had some great experiences in Loon Lake. Boy, what a way to break in a young preacher. First two years in Loon Lake, I had several instances of preaching over a drunk person who's trying to be louder than me. By the end of that service, I remember one guy one man was just loud, just loud, just always talking up, speaking up. And uh, the ushers are trying to work with him. And, and you know, he's just mad. You know, he suddenly gets quiet, but he looks angry. And he just duped daggers at me the whole time. The end of the service, Chris Ben and Fred Thunderchild are praying for the guy. And something's happening to him. He doesn't look angry anymore. He's receiving, and you know what? He looks sober. He's not completely sober, but he doesn't look stone drunk like he did before. Something's happening, and you can see something real breaking through the fog of alcohol. There's real emotion. There's real connection there. And he comes up to me, and I, and I, I joined him. I said, you know, they've been praying for you, what God's doing. And, and he said, 
He said, I was mad at you. I said, oh, well, that doesn't sound good. He said, I wanted to kill you. Oh, that sounds even worse. <laughs> kind of resist taking a step back because that's all I want to do. Number one, because of the smell. Number two, because he just said he wanted to kill me. So, you know, distance might be my friend in this situation. I said, do you still want to, you still angry? You still want to kill me? He said, no, I love you. And he takes my face and he plants the biggest kiss on my face. I, alcohol drench and I, I I'm not an alcohol drinker but I don't think it was the good stuff and he just just a drenched kiss sloppy wet kiss and I'm not talking Kim Walker small or John Mark McMillan you know in the worship song how he loves sloppy wet kiss I'm talking about a dirty alcohol drenched kiss he says I love you now that's what God can do I know not many of you are saying, yes, Lord, do that to me. <laughs> Don't worry, I didn't kiss back. I hugged. There was another man. We were closing up the service. Some of you heard this story. We are closing up the service. I was locking the door. I was the last one to leave. And um, I think there was a couple of our team members that were actually in the vehicle at the time that he, uh, this guy comes and he shows up right as the service is, is done. And he looks cold and he looks like, where'd you come from? And he, he steps in and he says, I just need Jesus. So I'm not going to turn somebody away who says that. I open the door and I bring him to the front. And I start to tell him the gospel because I'm not just going to say, you know, repeat a prayer if he doesn't know what he's doing. I tell him about Jesus. I tell him about the cross and the resurrection. And he's saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's real excited. And he's like, he's like trying to speed me up. Like, you're not going fast enough. You're like, get to the part where I get to receive Jesus. And I said to him, I said, okay. So let me pray with you. And we, you know, you can repeat what I pray. But, you know, say it in your own words. I, I pray with him and nothing big seems to happen. It's just sort of a, okay, amen. That's not what he said, but I, I didn't feel like anything was that different. I said, you know, Miles, you can, you can Talk to God tonight in your own words. You don't have to pray through me. You just talk to the Lord. And I meant like when he went home. But he falls at the altar and he just begins to weep. And I feel guilty because I'm in the same area as he's crying out the things that he's done. God, forgive me. God, have mercy. And he gets up and he says over and over again, he grabs me by the shoulders and says, I feel so light. I feel so light. I feel so light. And I said, that's the way you're supposed to feel because Jesus has taken your sin and you're free now. You're clean now. I said, Miles, how'd you get here? You know, I was expecting that he was going to ask me for something. He never asked me for anything. Never asked me for money. Didn't ask me for a ride. He said, I'll stay in Loon Lake tonight. I said, where are you from? He says, I'm from Onion Lake. I said, how'd you get here? He says, I walked. It's the middle of winter. If any of you know how long Onion Lake and Lloydminster are, they're not close. Or not Lloydminster, Loon Lake. Onion Lake and Loon Lake are not close. He walked. And he didn't know we were having church. To most people, if you don't know when a church service is, you assume a church service is on a Sunday morning. We have a Sunday night service in Loon Lake. But he is drawn for some reason to the church. And he comes in and he says, I need Jesus. And all he asks, he didn't ask, he said, I can walk to where I need. I said, well, let's, we'll give you a ride. He said, I don't need anything. 
I saw him later, and uh, I saw him one time after that, and I bought him a sandwich, and I asked him where things were going, and he told me, and the man had been through a lot, and he'd had a rough life. And that was the last time I spoke to him. Later that year, he died. And I just thought about a man that Jesus snatched from the fire, snatched from the flames, and in this case, drew him to a group of people where we didn't really even seek him out. He just came to us, said, I need Jesus. What kind of people need Jesus that we've just forgotten about? Who are the next missionaries? Who are the next evangelist prophets? Who are the next pastors? Who are the next encouragers? Who are the next intercessors, givers, lovers? These are the people that we least expect. God may send you to the other side. You may have to battle storms because the enemy does not want you to go there. I've never seen so much resistance as when we've stepped into a territory that the enemy thinks is his. Remember going to minister to somebody in the North Battleford Mental Wing. Actually, is that North Battleford or Battleford? It's Battleford. It's not North Battleford. It's Battleford. In the mental wing and just feeling such oppression. There's, there's, there's just, just almost like the attitude was, uh, there's a spiritual feeling of this isn't your, this is, you're not on home turf anymore. But you step in there and you see what God can do. Because there is not a place on the planet that is not his and that he cannot touch. The God of this world, as the scripture calls him, is Satan, but he does not own that position. And everywhere, as God said to Joshua and the Israelites, everywhere your foot touches, that's yours. Everywhere your foot touches. And Jesus says in the New Testament to his disciples, wherever you go, preach the kingdom. Tell them the kingdom has arrived at your doorstep. I brought it with me. Here's the kingdom. And he says, when you preach the kingdom, you heal the sick, you cast out demons, you cleanse the lepers. Because you've received freely, you give it freely. Thank God we've received freely. Let's give freely. Let's go to the other side because there might be one person. If you waste three hours getting somewhere and you only get to talk to one person, but Jesus delivers that one person, you've done your mission. God does not work on the same, same metrics of success that we think he does. His success is deeper, is invisible at times but it is lasting. The first missionary to Decapolis is someone we might not even ever want to go near, but he was the man who was able to preach the gospel where even Jesus wasn't welcome. Stand with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Send us out, Lord. Anoint us to do your work. God, you've got a group of people here today that are ready. Forgive us, God. Well, you've already forgiven us, I know, but we repent and we turn from an old way of thinking. We repent for the times that we viewed people who were broken, who were oppressed, who were hurting, who were damaged. We viewed them as dangerous. We've let fear determine how we reacted to them. But perfect love casts out all fear. May your love fill us. Your compassion fill us. 
your mercy fill us that we would see these people and say the Lord has sent me to breathe life to you and to see that you are delivered. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If there's anyone here that's been stirred in such a way, if you've something inside you is pricking you, that you're, you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want, I, I'm, there's a new desire in me to step up into some of this stuff, to, to go some places I haven't been going. If it witnessed in your spirit and your spirit leapt at some of these things, now this may not be everyone, but for those of you that said, okay, yeah, 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 like you'll know who you are. You were stirred. You were drawn by it. You knew it was speaking to you, that you're one of those people that's got to go to the other side. Maybe the Lord even showed you what that other side looks like. Maybe even the Lord put you some people on your heart that were just like this guy. And you knew who they are. And as I'm talking, you know exactly who they are. You know exactly where you're supposed to go. Or maybe you said, I don't know yet, but I want to know. If that's you, I want to pray with you today. I want you to know that we're going to lay our hands on you, that you would be filled with love power and a sound mind. God has not given you a spirit of timidity. You wouldn't be timid, but you'd be bold. You wouldn't be calloused, but you'd be full of love. You wouldn't be judgmental, but you'd be full of mercy. You'd make a righteous judgment, but a righteous judgment always leads to an attempt to correct and to fix and to heal. Righteous judgment does not end in condemnation. Righteous judgment says, like Jesus did, the ruler of this world has been judged. Righteous judgment says, this man's demon possessed, and I'm going to judge these evil spirits as unwelcome. If that's you and you want to get hands laid on you and you're ready to take that next step, okay, come on up.